You're listening to another hope-filled podcast from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifenz.org. Father, we thank you today. We thank you as we come to your word that your word reveals your heart. Your word brings a revelation that the Bible promises you promise will set us free. And we pray as we come to week three in God, money and me that God, there will be again for us an encounter with you. Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus name. Amen. Well, I'm pretty pumped to be sharing on week three. If you're visiting here at Life or you're joining us in any other context, uh, we're in week three of God, Money, and Me. I encourage you to hear the first two parts of that. And uh, we are talking about how is it that we build a foundation to financial freedom. And seriously, I feel like the church has not very well dealt with the subject of money and the enemy has played his cards But here at Life, we have an all-in commitment. And what that means is we are committed to teach, to model, and also to bring understanding to any aspect of human living that God is involved in. And He's involved in every part of us. And so I want to encourage you that from the cover, the beginning of the Bible to the end cover, to the end, God has got revelations for us to break through into freedom. And in the area of finances, no different matter. Can you say amen? You know, I was reading in my own personal quiet time this week, uh, Psalm 23, and the psalmist David cries out with these thoughts. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Just stop there for a moment. If you look at your life, if you take time and say, well, God, your word is true. And if you truly are my shepherd, then in my walk through life, I won't be in want. And I look at that and I go, but God, there is so much that has failed to come full circle and for you to move in ways that you've promised. Psalmist finishes verse six, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. In other words, as I look back on my life, not just where I'm at today or tomorrow, yes, I shall not want, but your goodness has been there all the way. If that is not our experience, then we are not doing it wrong to say, God, something's amiss. Something has got to change. And then the very next verse we find in chapter 24 and verse 1. And remember when uh, the psalmist spoke, he didn't put it in chapters and verses. He goes on and he says, be reminded that the Lord, I love this. Oh, sorry. Uh, remember the Lord, your, sorry. The, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness, all of its fullness, the world and all of those that dwell therein. And I want to stir your thinking this morning because we've got one more week to go, but week three, it's kind of like, did you realize that this world, the earth is the Lord's and all of the fullness thereof? So therefore, God does not have the issues that often the church has had about the things that we are surrounded with, the wonder of God's creative power, the possessions, all of those things. And to be honest, I feel like in the series, we're going to challenge some of the plan of the enemy, which has made certain dirty words in the church. He wants the words large, success, multiplication, come on, breakthrough, prosperity to be dirty words. And I know I'm in the 11.15, so you need to respond a whole lot better than what you're doing right now. You, you go, well, I don't believe in that prosperity doctrine. You don't even understand what it is. Prosperity is you break through into what God possesses already so that you can bring the breakthrough into others that don't know what you know. 
And when I began to look at this and began to study it, I thought that's through cover to cover. And, and we need to realize that God has so much more. Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18 says, remember the Lord your God. When you remember who God is, there is a shift that comes into your expectation and understanding. And you shall remember the Lord your God. Why? Because it is He who gives you power to get wealth. In other words, God wants us to break through in our material world. He gives you power. I used to think that God would bring wealth to me, but I realized that God has sent me a letter I never opened. And in the letter was not a check, but was a contract of how I could create a financial freedom pathway. That there is answers that God words. And you might say, well, I don't believe in, a, in getting wealthy. Well, that's because possibly your life is all about you. Did you realize there are a lot of people around you that need your breakthrough to help them to believe they could find a breakthrough in God? And for too long, the church has been anemic. It's been small. It's been content and calls itself religious or on fire with God and has no worldly impact where I'm suggesting that God created you for so much more than you ever realized you were created for. Come on, somebody say amen. And that God gives you the power to get wealth. Yeah, but still, I've got a problem with that. That's because the enemy knows that you break through, the kingdom breaks through. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Let's read the next verse. It goes on. And in fact, the second part of the verse, why does he want you to learn how to get well? So that he may establish his covenant. In other words, he's going to use you to bring his kingdom into focus in the world. And for too long, the enemy has had its way. This is what I wrote down this week. Money controls human hearts. If you believe that to be different, think about it. It controls your heart. It directs everyday decisions. But this is what we learned last week. It literally determines the measure of God's authority in our lives. You can be a believer in God. You can be in church on every Sunday. But the measure of God's authority over your human existence can be very small. And we've got to learn how to break through because money is an issue. I don't know if you've heard about the guy Herman. He was kind of a reserve guy and he married this woman called Henrietta and truth be known, she had a lot of money. And so uh, they, they ventured into their married life and uh, they got to buy their first home. It was a beautiful home. And Henrietta said to Herman, come on, let's go and have a look at our new home. So they arrived, they got out, there's no furniture yet. But this was the day that they were going to put the furniture in and they walked through every empty room and, and Henrietta just sort of smiled. And at the end of the tour, she said to Herman, you realize if it wasn't for my money, we wouldn't own this home. Well, Herman knew not to respond and so later on in the day, the truck turned up, all the furniture arrived, and Henrietta said, come on, Herman, let's look, and wow, doesn't that room look good now with the furniture, and doesn't that look good again at the end of the tour? You realize, don't you, Herman, if it wasn't for my money, we wouldn't have all of this furniture. Herman just nodded, as a good husband does. <laughs> and then the big TV, the brand new TV arrived, went in the TV room, and she says, come on, Herman, sit down, let's flick this on and have a look, and so they began to watch it. You realize we wouldn't have that TV if it wasn't for my money. He murmured. Then he said, Henrietta, there's something I've been wanting to say to you. She says, what's that, love? If it wasn't for your money, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> you go, what's the point of the story? I wonder how much of your life is controlled by money. 
I wonder what measure of decisions are currently made by lack of money or excess of money. The power of money, we would be naive to think, doesn't have an impact. I would suggest my view is second to sin, money has more authority than we would ever realize. In fact, unsurrendered money, the enemy uses as a weapon to distract or to restrict us. And so we need to look and say, well, how do we deal with that? First part of the series, I talked about some of the money myths we need to understand and clarify. Last week, we talked about God's order of release. What I want to do today is talk about four foundational ingredients. We'll go on in the final part of God, Money and Me next week and look at stewarding, seeding, saving and spending. Because that's what God has as something I never was taught nor understood is going to unlock my financial future. The first is this thought of stewarding, that God entrusts finances to come into our lives that we can first decide who's sovereign when it comes to money. It's my sovereignty decision. It's where I begin to make a decision who is going to be the Lord of my life. And he uses money. God allows money to be the testing point. The word sovereignty literally means authority, control, or influence. As I respond to my increase, I decide who is the authority over my life, who is the one that is going to influence my life and end up controlling who I am. And so we go to Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. And I want you to, again, as we saw in part last week, to note the phrasing that God speaks in. In verse 6, he says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. What I'm about to talk about is not just for a season of history. This is about you and me. This is about relationship. This is about trust. This is about who is going to be the center of your life, the future, and the generations that follow you. You get to choose. I am the Lord, I do not change. Yet you are, and because of that, you are not consumed. Yet from the days of your fathers, you've gone away from my ordinances. In other words, you've walked away from my commands, not my Old Testament laws, my commands. An ordinance is a specific decree that, that is aligned to a uh, prescribed proportion. And again, in the first person, God says, I want you to return to me. Because if you return to me, you release me to return to you. But you said, how do we return to you? How do we establish authority, sovereignty in our lives? Then Malachi 3, 8 says, well, will a man or a woman rob God? Yet you've robbed me. And it's like, how do we rob God? Because you haven't understood your honor in tithes and offerings. That your stewarding of your increase determines the authority. And you and I have a choice. It's like religion says, you have to do that. If you don't do that, you're going to be condemned. But it's like God says, this is about you and me. This is about the wonder that from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, every one of us get to choose whether we're going to go God's way, have his authority over us. And that's going to affect our lives and the generations that follow us. Or we're going to choose our decision to trust in who we are and where we're at. And that becomes really challenging. In fact, it's a position of lordship decision. Verse 10, I want you to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And why I want you to do that is that there would be food in my house. Did you realize God has got a plan that comes and flies in the face of the enemy's plan, which is the church becoming the center of society? 
to make a difference. Well, I believe that anyway. Come on, to make a difference in the world around us. And then it just gets from one strength to another strength. Verse 10, he then says, some translations prove me or test me. Here it says, try me. Now, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour you out such a blessing that you cannot contain it. Because God's blessing materially and his wealth is not so that you can just buy hundreds of houses. It's so that you can become a channel of an answer for people in need. You are the expression. I am the expression of the kingdom here on earth. But as I was reading that, that word try literally means to put God on trial. Put him in the witness stand. You go, well, I don't know if I could trust God with the first tenth. And God says, you put me on trial. That's the God that forevermore existed. He's always been in eternity. And he says, you can put me on trial. So you think you know more than I know, says God. It's like, I feel like God was stirred up and he says, you put me on trial and see if I will not open for you, if you would just test me now. By the word, the word now, try me now. Here's what happens. We hear a series like this and we go, yeah, I need to do something about that. Between the revelation and the implementation, the enemy comes in and dissuades you. This is how big an issue. It's a now moment decision. If you don't make the decision, you got the right to make the decision. Here at Life, we're not here to tell anybody to do what they don't want to do. But you can't not allow me to teach the Word of God that's going to unlock you and the generations that follow you. Come on. Every one of us need the kind of teaching that will break God open. Try me now. I remember I was 18 years of age. I had always understood what stewarding was about. The first tenth belonged to God, and I had always been faithful to that. But for the first time, I wanted to go to Bible college, and it was only eight months away. I counted up what I was getting in my salary, and there was no way I could pay to go to Bible college the fees, let alone have money to live the year that the Bible college was running for because we couldn't work. And... uh, And I was at that point where I was going, oh, I just can't do it. For the first time in my life, I began to bargain with God. I said, God, what about if I didn't tithe to the church and I just tithe to me? Because this is about Bible college training and this is about getting me ready for your house. And I think it's a good investment. Anybody done some bargaining with God? Come on. It's like, come on, let's just talk about this a little bit. And I felt like the whisper of the Holy Spirit. Trust me. Trust me. Would you try me? Come on, this would be, you got eight months, you need a miracle. You, 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 you put me on trial here. So what I said is I said, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm not only going to honor God with the first 10%, which is what I had only been taught to do. I'm going to also add another 10% because I can't get there anyway on 90%. And I'm going to seed and I'm just going to trust you. Do you know within eight months, this is what happened. My parents, they were my employees. My mum and dad had so much work come in. It was in a catering business. They said, Paul, you, you're good enough. You can take all of the functions of 150 people or less. So you can do all of those weddings and you can make the money out of them. Hallelujah. <laughs> I went to Bible college in eight months time. I paid for the fees for the year. I had enough money to keep me for the year. I had a brand new GS Suzuki motorbike, which was blue in color. And I had enough money to go on an international part of the training in the year. And God said, see? I wonder if today we're living the outcome of a lack of trust. Because we don't know God that much. Not only that, I'll rebuke. Come on, verse 11. The devourer. What's a devourer? It's the one that's eating up the things. Ever felt like money just goes like water? Because the devourer is on it. 
Yeah, but it's my circumstances. No, I'll teach you. It's not your circumstances. It's something far bigger than your circumstances. And in the end, all the nations of the world will call you blessed. Because the church will begin to rise to who she ought to be. And yet I've had, when it comes to honoring God and his sovereignty and stewarding the first tenth, people go, but I've got some questions. Over the years, these are the kinds of questions. But when I tithe, if I bring the first tenth of my increase, and that's what the tithe is, all of my increase, do I tithe on the gross or the net? Good question. Seriously, if that's the big issue in your life, I understand it. We've all been there. But you don't understand Malachi 3. It says you've robbed me from tithes and offerings. If the total of your trust is on only 10%, you haven't broken through into the things of God. By the way, did you realize when you pay tax to the government that you're under, you get benefits for that? You get help in education in New Zealand. You get help in, again, hospitalization. You get roads to drive on. They are for you. And so I've always counted that conversation in my own mind that it has to be the gross because I put God before the government. I put God before everything that's around me that God is able, he's promised to move in on the rest and make it multiply. And so I've always increased on or, or given the increase on the gross income because we gain benefit. benefit. The Pharisees in Matthew 22 came to try and trip Jesus up. And they said, well, you know, you say you've got a better way, but then do we still honor Caesar? Do we have to still give? And I love Jesus' response as he calls them hypocrites. He was pretty straight with them. He says, show me the tax money or show me your money. So they brought to him a denarius and he said to them, who do you think the inscription or the image is on that money? And they said, well, it's Caesar. Well, here it is. He said to them, quite simple, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar's and render to God, come on, the things that are God's. So the question I would bring to you is, who's first in your life, Caesar or God? And by the way, can I just put this out there? And government should love teaching like this. If you live in this country, you pay the taxes of this country. God can't honor the rest if you're not honoring the way that he put it in place. He said, render Caesar. Yeah, but I think the taxes are too high. Well, go and live in another country. Come on, if you live in the country, you honor the authority of that country and that releases God's blessing because God is not limited to what you have got. He's limited to the access you give him. All right, it's getting quiet in here. Here's another question when it comes to that. What if I can't afford to tithe? I think the answer is inherent in the question. Have you got to where you are because you haven't honored God and understood the contract, the formula? That there are many components to getting God's breakthrough. In fact, there was, Elisha turns up to a woman in 1 Kings 17, woman of Seraphath. She's got a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. She's going to die. And she says, oh, man of God, you're here. We've got one meal and we're going to die. You know what he said? Give it to me. How arrogant. Who do you think you are? The church, it takes tithes from people. We don't take tithes from anyone. But we understand the principle that the world doesn't get. You honor God's man, I'm a God's way of going. Come on. And what she did is she said, All right, I'm going to bake you. And then the oil didn't cease, and they lived on the rest. I'll never forget the day I was teaching in Sydney many, many years ago, again on this principle. And a solo mum came up, two little kids, as I remember, and said, Pastor Paul, that's challenging. Because we're on a little benefit and we've had so much 
challenge and we can't even get by. Do you know my natural fathering came out? And I said to her, I'll never forget this. I said, honey, you know, God is bigger than just the ABC. He gets where you're at. It's okay. You know, it's okay. You just do whatever you feel to do. What I won't forget is not just that moment, but driving home in the car. And the Holy Spirit was sitting there. And it was just like this. This is how clear it was. So you know better than me. So you know better than me, huh? And I was like, no, it's just my heart. But don't you realize my word is my word? My word releases my authority on what she can't do on her own. I had to ring her and say, I don't know how to say this, but what, all I want to say is the advice I gave you was not right. If you honor God, God has promised to move in on the rest. Come on. I remember the first time we sold our house and we gained a great increase through what we had bought, spent on it and sold it for. And it was an increase. And I just looked at that and we had some real challenges and needs. And if you're going to buy another house, well, the market's gone up. And I remember for the first time in my life up to that point, because as a, a little kid, less than five, I'd always tied. It was like, oh, it's a lot. And the same decision. And all I'm saying that for is all of us have those challenges. Come on. And God is saying like that. What if I can't afford to tithe? No, the tithe releases the rest. It's the power of God's economy. What constitutes my increase? Anything that you're doing better for? For most of us, it's a salary. Maybe you have an inheritance. You buy something. And a home's a great example for 200000 Spend 100000 on it. Imagine if you could buy a home for 200000 in Auckland. But uh, you spend three hundred, you sell it for five hundred. This is a two hundred thousand dollar increase. You go, well, I've done, I haven't done that before on my increases. Well, on that part of who you are, God doesn't have authority. It's kind of like not to condemn people, but to unlock the pattern. Oh, I'm in business. How do I do it in business? Well, the key to business people is you pay yourself a salary. That's your increase. Uh, somebody asked me after the early services, I've got a business that's just at the start and we're putting all the money that we have. We pay ourselves a bit, but we put it all back into the business. I said, well, if you understand business, business needs cash flow to get up and going. But there comes a point as when you receive, if it's your business and you, anything you receive personally is your increase, then the business has an increase. And after a period of time, you can tithe annually on your business or you tie on the sale of your business if it's only a short term. But you increase, you bring before God and say, God, I'm going to honor you on that. Because what that does is it unlocks the power of the enemy to step into it and divert you by your success and distract you because of the gaining of more. But I want to tie it to other ministries. What about that? I hope this isn't too practical this morning. It's kind of like, well, that's not what God says. The tithe belongs in his house. Yeah, but then how do we fund missionaries? Or if my neighbor has a flood and got no insurance and I feel like we should do something, I say, absolutely, you've got to understand the power of seeding, but your tithe is, belongs where God chooses it. Yeah, but, but I want to make those decisions. No, that's the point. This is not mine to direct. It's the decision point of trust. In fact, Exodus 23, 19, the first of the first fruits of the land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. It's kind of like then we're at a place where we can begin to say, hey, we're going to put seed money aside so that we can then provide for the needs of others. Here's another big question. But if I tithe then, does it guarantee financial increase? And I would go, yes and no. 
It's only one part of the ingredients to building a foundation for your future. That's why, again, we gave this book out to everybody that's at life early at the beginning of the series, God, Money and Me. But in it, I write about 12 of the areas that limit financial release. And by the way, it's no good just getting the book if you don't read it. Yeah, but I like the cover. It's not about the cover. Come on, it's about reading it and going, you know, tithing and honouring God is the first step, but it's only one of the ingredients. You try baking without baking powder. Come on, or putting salt in it instead of sugar. It just doesn't work. And so God is saying, come on, we've got to realize that tithing doesn't guarantee on its own breakthrough, but it positions God over the rest. And then he's at a place where he can teach you how to live out your contract, how you can break into the things that God wants you. Because the tithe, as I said, releases the rest. It secures lordship and sovereignty. It removes the spirit of mammon. It releases God's protection and his provision. It is the first ingredient to what God wants us to do. So we've got to have stewarding. The second is seeding. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that, but I do want us to realize that we rob God's ability to move if we don't steward what belongs to His and we don't seed. See, much of the church today is caught up in this. It's not fair. And I, you know, I wish I wasn't dealt this set of cards. Whereas I come to realize that seeding is the harvest forerunner. If you don't seed, you don't grain a harvest. It's like, Pastor, would you help me with my marriage? I'll do everything I can to help you with your marriage. And we'll pray, but my prayer will be, God, change the hearts in this marriage so they're ready to do what they need to do. Because a farmer is not going to sow carrot seeds and believe for oranges. It's going to come. My seed will reflect my harvest. So if you're a person that's in a negative world and you're in a place where you go, you know what, my life sucks and everything's bad and I'm doing that. If you keep promoting that seed, you'll have that future. But the Bible teaches us harvest reflects seed. So whatever area you need a breakthrough in, then you've got to change your seed content and begin to realize it's not just about the tithe, it's now seeding. God wants you and I to develop a generous spirit. Well, I'm praying for a better job. That's good to do, but don't just pray for a better job, be a better employee. Are you the first there? Are you the last to leave? Are you sowing seeds that other people aren't sowing? Because why would you expect a harvest if you're just doing the same thing? So if I need a financial breakthrough, it's kind of like I've got to learn that the Bible teaches me not just to steward back to God what belongs to Him, but that harvest reflects seed and I and you want to become very generous. I love, again, Genesis 8.22, it says this, while the earth remains, realize the earth is still remaining, there is seed time and harvest. So as long as you're alive, this divine, irrevocable law doesn't change. Stop blaming, as I said, everybody else. Stop blaming your start in life. Remember the moment you connect with God, God comes into the equation and He says, you might not see the potential, but if you believed in seed, you would unlock harvest. And if you're putting seed in the ground, you have a right to expect harvest. I'm teaching what we need to hear. Come on, cold and heat, winter and summer, day and night, these will not cease. Seed time and harvest will never stop. Verse 6 of 2 Corinthians 9. This is what I say, says Paul, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. You are what you sow. 
So when I stopped allowing the enemy to lie to me, I said, I can change my whole future. Come on, I can apply myself. And if I put that seed in the ground, but it has to come out of a decision point, let each one give as he purposes in his heart. Not out of grudging necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Did you know that God doesn't want you to fill the formula? He wants you to get close to him out of a heart that says, thank God you're on my side. You're going to step into my financial world. You're going to build my future. You're going to begin to change what's around me. If I were to give you a little test today, come on, on the generosity scale, one to 10, where would you sit? You're the person that goes out for somebody for coffee and it's like, it's pressured because it's sort of end of the coffee time. Somebody's going to have to pay. Come on. How many know that stuck in my, I kind of want to do it, but then somebody gets up, oh, thank you so much. You're so generous. That's awesome. God bless you. Well, he already is blessing them. But you're the same way you've been for 10 years. I'm not saying you can sow a whole field at the beginning, but you can take the seed that's yours. Come on. Don't let the enemy rip you off by I am my past. I am how I began. No, you will be what your seed goes toward. And so I want to believe that God is going to shift that in all of us. And you go to 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. This again years ago was a profound revelation for me. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. What will he do? He will create bread for food. He will supply and multiply the seed that you've sown. And he'll increase the fruits of your righteousness. Again, I can't tell you how many times money and righteousness cohabitate in Scripture. You're not righteous if you're not generous. It's an outcome of righteousness. It flows together. But here's the thought. What comes first? The seed. Well, if I had more seed, Paul, I'd be able to sow. No, read it again. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower. Once you have a spirit of generosity, you're going to find seed coming your way. It's a shift in how we see it. It's counterintuitive. Again, Galatians 6 verse 7, don't be deceived. Come on, I'm preaching the word this morning. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will reap. Now, there may be a time lag, but that's the truth of God's word. Don't be deceived. Don't be seduced. Don't wander off the path. You will reap. And that word reap means you'll go out and cut down a crop. I didn't realize I thought seeding was just about seeding rather than it's sowing and reaping. I understood the law of sowing. I didn't understand the law of reaping. Farmers realize the sowing of the seed is the easy part. The work begins when the crop grows and they've got to cut it down, bring it in. And many of us have not understood that we've only taught the church, by and large, has taught stewarding. And then many just concentrate on seeding. But the third part of the contract, the equation, is to move to saving. That we honor God with the first tenth, we, we then begin to look and say, well, we need seed in the ground to create a harvest. But then also we need to think about our future and the generations beyond us. My dad was a great dad, but not a good example in this because he started with nothing. He started moving to New Zealand. I may have used this story before and he had 25 US dollars. And he just worked hard, had eight children with mum. Did a good job at that, I think. But he used to say to me, Paul, I started with nothing. I learned so many good lessons. That, where, that is where you need to start. But biblically, that's not correct. 
Biblically, what God wants to do is build generations on the shoulders of the former generations. And could it be that if we began to think generationally and think about those that are following us, and that becomes part of the equation, we're going to see a breakthrough just in one generation like we never could believe. Well, Paul, money doesn't grow on trees. No, it grows on generational trees. It grows on those that are committed, come on, to again, have a time where it may cost you, but you're setting it up. Don't be somebody that spends everything that's coming your way. Don't be somebody that gives everything away that's coming your way. Be somebody that begins to calculate and say, well, I was sitting at one and two, no problem. And then I felt like God say, you need to understand, Paul, what is the 10, 10, 10, 70 principle? And I go, I never heard about that. This is just my dialogue with God and scripture. And it was like, well, it needs stewarding, seeding, saving and spending. And those four components are a part of what you need to put together to create the strength of a foundation, the whole 10, 10, 10, 70. And so I began to think a little bit more about that and think, well, what does that mean? Because I, 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 I know Jesus is coming and, and uh, my dad had nothing and I was taught just to live and expend it all for good things in life and be generous, but I didn't ever think. And then I came to Proverbs 13, 22, which says a good man or a good woman, what does he or she do? Leaves an inheritance to their children's children. In other words, I'm going to make sure that my children's children have the echo of my life, have a platform to stand on that they don't have to spend their whole lives just saving and working to buy a home, but they become an answer and a feeder of a lot of people's needs. Come on, church, you need a bit more inspiration. It's kind of like God wants to lift you beyond yourself and realize that if you do it God's way, you are not just unlocking your future, but you are unlocking your children's children's future. Oh, well, I just want to live for myself. I wouldn't really want to say that. Really, how selfish. I don't need more money. How selfish. Come on. Money in our hands is the kingdom when the king is at the center is better than any government in the world. We can bring reformation and the church has been so sold the dummy. You know what a dummy is? It's a past that doesn't take place. And it says, you should just be happy with what you got. Don't ever be happy with what you got. Be thankful. But say, God, I'm believing for a harvest of a whole lot more. It doesn't finish with that verse, by the way, in Proverbs 13, 22. The second part of the verse, or verse 23 says, do you realize there's much food in the fallow ground of the poor? I want you to look at me. Can I ask the team to come and join me? But I want you to look at me. There's much food in the fallow ground of the poor. You go, Paul, right now, my financial world is, if I'm honest, is in chaos. You know what God says? There is much food in that ground. Don't you allow what you're seeing now to rule your future. But for lack of justice, there is weight. That word justice is the word ordinance. Because you're not living the command of God and the way of God. Because you're just doing a part of the contract and not bringing together every ingredient, the foundation hasn't set. And you're not bringing a shift. And when you begin to understand that stewarding, seeding, Saving, which is, again, a portion. And I would say the goal for all of us ultimately is the first tenth God says is mine. Well, then let's work towards having another tenth where we're going to seed and believe a great harvest. And then they match another ten where we're going to put it aside. And that's going to go into non-depreciating assets. If you're in debt, it's going to go to pay your debt off, then put it into a home. You're not going to use it for a holiday or a retirement. It's going to go on to the generations that follow you, your children's children. Can you imagine having grandparents 
that said, you don't need to worry about saving up for a house. We've already got one. But here's the principles by which you live. So you can take that level and go to another level. And before we know it, the church is the place to come to if you have a need. Come on, because we've got an abundance for every good work. But we don't understand the cycle. And we look at where we're at now and go, well, it never happened for my parents. God's saying, no, but there's much food in the fallow ground of the poor. If you'll embrace the ordinance, if you make that choice, you'll see the waste dissipate and you're going to go to new levels. But I could never live by that. Well, let's start somewhere. I would suggest at least start at the first tenth. You don't negotiate with God what belongs to His. That's a trust issue. But then you come down, instead of 10, let's go to 10, 2, 2, 86. So I'm going to start somewhere. I'm going to every week put 2% into seeding because seeding releases harvest. And then I'm going to save 2%. You've got to wrap those two together. I'll talk about a lot more about that next week. And then you live on 86%. That's it. No KFC. Come on. No TV, no sky for a while. We can do all of that. There's so much. We think spending, we've got that nailed. No, we haven't. That's the thing that's out of control. You can have so many things happen in your future, but they are not at the expense of what you're putting generationally. And so that's where you start. And then maybe the year after you can go to 10, 5, 580. Maybe then move to 10, 10, 10, 70. Maybe you're just breaking through financially and you've begun to live this. We started this at 38, Marie and I. 38. I haven't shared this yet. Maybe I should leave it to next week, but now we're at 10, 20, 20, 50. We live off 50%. We're seeding 20%. And because we had so little asset, we're putting a lot more into asset. There's another 20% going into our home. We've still got a big mortgage and we don't own heaps of houses. We've just got one. But God's released us because we've got a generous spirit. But come on, our children's children are going to thank God we existed because it's God's way. If your echo stops with you, you've missed it in financial areas, let alone other areas. And I just challenge you today out of my heart that God takes us on a journey to make a multi-generational impact. In front of your seat, and I'd like you to do something because I felt kind of nudged by the Holy Spirit this week. Just take the tithing envelope. There's one in front there. It's next to the next steps. And I just... I'd love everybody to hold one of these just for a minute. You might go, what, what do I need to do that? I'm, I give by AP. I'm not asking you to fill it in. I'm asking you to think about something. I felt like last Sunday, this week, God said, there needs to be a decision point. If, if you feel pressured by this, hear my heart. This is not the pressure. This is a dad saying, you get to choose. I've got three sons who are all married. They don't have to do one thing I say anymore. But how many know I'm still a dad? I'll still be saying, I don't think that's a good choice there if they ask me. I'm saying as a spiritual dad, this all begins with the biggest test, which is the first tenth. Whenever you increase, whatever you increase with, the first tenth goes to God's house, not where you want it to go. And then as you break the dominion of mammon, then you want to seed because you understand seed unlocks harvest. Then when you match, come on, what you're saving with your seeding, you feel happy about life. By the way, we'll find out next week. When you live to your current means, you'll live free. You might not have what everybody thinks you need to have in the, in, in the beginning, but you'll live free. But I'm asking you this week, I'm asking you, try me now. Put me on trial right now. What you're going to do? If you leave it too long, the enemy's going to have a voice. When you say yes to God, God is going to honor 
and begin the process of transformation. It's going to be amazing. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifenz.org.